Well, I listened to that scripture and um, it reminds me of probably one of the main messages Jesus uh, declared, spoke went, as he went around preaching and that is, believe me, believe in me. Right? And he says, if, if, I'm, if you don't believe me when I talk to you about earthly things, how will you believe me when I talk to you about heavenly things? When he... Uh, one of the things he was talking about the end of the world, and he said, when the Son of Man returns, his big question was, will he find faith on the earth? And we're going to talk about this morning faith, and we're, we're continuing talking about covenant, and God, uh, specifically God's covenant with us, and what that means for us. Uh, so let's just uh, pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would speak uh, individually to us through your word and corporately to us. Holy Spirit, we thank you. You are a God who speaks. You are a God who communicates to those, to your children, to those you love. And we open our hearts and our minds um, to, to hear your word. Let us believe it. Let us trust you, and let us respond by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking about covenants. Wayne talked a lot about what a covenant is last week and about God's covenant with us. Um, And he touched a little bit on this, but a couple of questions are, why should we have covenants? And uh, what benefit is there uh, from having our covenant with God? Why does God want to have covenant with us? Uh, Those are important questions. And I think Wayne talked about this a little bit last week, but probably the most familiar covenant that we have around in in the world is marriage, right? And uh, so we're not going to talk just about marriage. I don't know why those pictures are up there. Um, Mowage. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's there's a wedding coming up. You know, uh, some people today avoid the marriage covenant altogether, right? And they just live together. And they say, some people say, "Why should I get married?" It's just a piece of paper, right? And uh, I don't know if, if you know Chris Valentine. I've heard him reply to that argument and said, uh, well, if it's just a piece of paper, then what's stopping you from doing it? <laughs> you know, and the truth is that, that a covenant really involves commitment and covenants are built on trust. And uh, the word, the prophecy this morning that we had from Warren uh, emphasized that that God is looking for us to trust him. And that's why Jesus was always talking about, do you believe in me? Believe in me. Believe my words. Believe um, the works. When you see the works that I do, uh, let it cause you to believe. Um, Covenants are built on trust. When two parties trust each other, they can move forward and be productive 
and fruitful. And uh, conversely, those who don't trust each other, uh, they're not going to enter into covenant or they're not going to take it seriously and they're not going to end up being fruitful even if they are in covenant. Uh, A relationship without covenant won't be fruitful like one that's built on covenant trust. Uh, If we look at Malachi chapter 2, God addresses, he talks about what fruit he is seeking through the marriage covenant. We're not talking about marriage through the whole thing today, but it's an example for us. And um, God, through the prophet, is is uh, correcting, I guess we could say, chastising, correcting the people. And he says, you ask why? And the context is, why does God no longer accept your offerings? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? This is a very interesting question. God is telling us, what am I looking for? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. So God is saying directly there that one of the main purposes of the covenant of marriage is that he's looking for godly offspring. And that can only come through the covenant of trust. Um, I work at a school. We've we've been around the world. We've seen, and I'm sure you have too, lots of examples where marriages are lacking trust. And the truth is that's definitely often limits the fruitfulness of that relationship and affects the generations that come after, often in a negative way. So the same it is with our relationship with God. Um, God is looking for a harvest of godly offspring from covenant marriages. You know, experts say that one problem about premarital sex, even between a couple who later get married to one another, is that it breaks down the trust in that marriage. And, um, you know, fortunately, in in that case for, for believers... People can repent and experience forgiveness and healing and rebuilding of that trust. But that's just an example uh, of why covenant is so important and why God seeks covenant with us uh, in that relationship. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it addresses the increased fruitfulness that trust, uh, of the trust and the unity that's found through covenant. Uh, Chapter 4, starting at verse 9, it says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. The good news, this is not just about marriage, but all kinds of relationships. And and don't be discouraged if you're not married, because uh, if it's you and the Lord, that's two, right? (laughs) So uh, he's not saying you have to be married to to take advantage of the blessings of covenant. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? 
Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And uh, I've always taken that statement of three strands being symbolic also of the relationship between the two humans and and God woven together, which is certainly true about Christian marriage, but also about other kinds of relationships where we covenant with one another in the Lord. So, uh, so like marriage, the covenant between us and God brings trust and fruitfulness. And to be sure, God is looking for fruit. That's why faith is the basis of our covenant with God. Everything in the Christian life we receive by faith. And that's why Jesus said, you need to believe in me. And he said in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That's a promise. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the, uh, the converse of it. So, again, be clear. When God calls us into covenant with himself, it's including the expectation that we will bear fruit. And this is a result of covenant. Uh, he's always seeking and calling people into faithful covenant of trust and dependence on him. So um, you might think, well, there was this, we're going to look at some covenants this morning. Ab- God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Moses, right? But what about me? No, I, I want to show this morning that God is seeking, we are included. God is searching for people who are willing to make covenant with him. So don't ever feel like I'm left out of God by God from the covenant, uh, far from the truth. I, I would say that God is looking to covenant with every person that is conceived and born into the world. And uh, so one thing about it is trust in covenant is a two-way street, right? Just like in marriage or any other relationship. Um, how do we respond? We show our trust in God by, taking, by responding obediently to what he calls us to do. And in the covenant, covenant with God is calling us to responsibility. So for a Christian, covenant with God is meaning we're not just here to do whatever we feel like doing or whatever we want, but what is God calling us to do? He's calling us to take up that responsibility. It may look different. It will look slightly different for each person, what he's calling specifically for us to do in some some ways generally speaking it's the same aim because we are a body right and he has one goal um, so but taking steps in obedience is the way we respond by trust in trust does that make sense and he is pleased when we trust him and obey because of that trust. And the other thing is he's pleased when we do it depending on him. In other words, we, we put our hope, we put our dependence on him and don't just trust in ourselves or some other outside source to do what he's called us to do. 
or to even to survive. Um, there was a prophet in the Old Testament that God sent to King Asa. Asa was a good king, uh, but then he hit a rough spot in his relationship with the Lord. And God sent a prophet to him, uh, specifically when Asa relied on the king of Aram, the, the country to the north, to help him against his enemies instead of relying on the Lord. And this is what the prophet said, Second Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. So he's talking about the consequence of his lack of dependence on the Lord, uh, showing a lack of trust in the Lord, trusting in other things. And, uh, but but it's, what's he saying? He's saying God is looking throughout the earth. He didn't say the eyes of the Lord are looking at you, which he was, but he's, he's telling a general thing. Throughout the earth to strengthen those. Which ones? whose hearts are fully committed to him. That sounds like covenant to me. That sounds like trust. And uh, so he's always looking for people to enter into a covenant of trust with. His eyes indeed search the world for righteous people, for trusting people, to bless and to help bring about his fruit in the world. Uh, we can see it from the very beginning in Genesis. And the rest of this morning, we're going to be looking at different covenants. Uh, I'm just going to take ones in the book of Genesis, which is plenty of, to bite off and chew, chew on. Um, but just to, go to, to show you that this is just Genesis. These are just the people we see talk, whose lives we see in Genesis. And uh, they're important people, and we are connected to them. But if it applies to these people, it's going to apply to you as well and to me. And so let's start at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. And this is why it applies to you and me specifically, because he makes a covenant with mankind, starting with Adam. Then God said, verse 26, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Okay, so first of all, a couple things. and We've touched on this before. God created mankind in his own image. And I don't know if that means we physically look like him, but it, what it means is we're his offspring, and we carry his purpose, we carry his authority, we are members of his family. And he gave us an assignment. What is the assignment that it says? To rule. To rule the world. Yeah, we get to rule the world. All right? Um, but this, this is the assignment that he's given us. Uh, and uh, verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, just two kinds. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature 
that moves on the ground. That's a responsibility. He didn't say, okay, have fun with this playground I've put you on. Do whatever you want. Fulfill your desires. No, he gave the responsibility, rule. And he said, be fruitful, increase in number. How can I do that? No, what did he say? He said he blessed them and then gave them that responsibility, right? In other words, he gave them everything that they needed. should say we, because we are part of the human race as well. He gave us everything we need to complete that command. <laughs> Be fruitful and multiply. Uh, Rich Mullins once said, yeah, that's, that's one of the greatest commands in the Bible, and it's one of the ones that people have trouble not keeping, right? Uh, to be fruitful and multiply. Anyway, um, so we've said it before. The reason God created the world was not for his own entertainment, and it wasn't some interesting science, science project. What'll happen if I do this? No, he had a purpose. He made us to be his children, and as offspring, we would carry his authority. He was deputizing us. He, was, uh, he wants to rule the earth uh, with us as his representatives and, uh, or his ambassadors. Covenant between us and him was necessary for that goal from the beginning. And you can understand why. If you were putting somebody in ch charge of something very precious and valuable to you, you would want an agreement of trust between you and that person, right? You wouldn't just send them off and say, well, <laughs> do what you want. You know, you need trust. And God invested a lot of trust in us to do that, an amazing amount of trust in us. And you think, why did he trust us to rule the world? <laughs> but he did. And why he did is because he was, it had to be because he was willing to invest what is needed for us to be successful at it. And he has. And so, uh, he called us to that purpose and that identity. That's who we are. We are his representatives here on earth. We are uh, bringing his kingdom, furthering his kingdom here on earth and ruling with his authority. And he trusted us to do it righteously. And we trust him, we have to trust him to supply everything that's necessary, everything, to make that happen successfully. But the good news is there's unity and love and trust woven all through this covenant. Genesis, let's skip to Genesis chapter 2. In the garden, it kind of zooms into the garden, verse 15 says, the Lord God took man, the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, you will certainly die. That's a warning. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And of course, he created Eve. And that was very helpful. Um, so what we see there, again, we see that we see God um, giving a little responsibility. Hey, don't eat from this tree. But lots of provision. 
I'll give you all the food to eat from every tree in the garden and other provision. I'm going to give you a suitable helper, a wife. And, uh, you know, as we look at these covenants, you're going to see a pattern developing, a repeating cycle of how covenant should work between God and human beings. First of all, God calls or chooses people. Just like we just saw that God chose Adam and Eve and through them, the whole human race, right? God calls or chooses people. And often, as actually we're going to look at it, often is linked to families. It often involves families, not just individuals, okay? Secondly, God gives those people responsibility. What responsibility did he give man again? Be fruitful and multiply, Be fruitful and multiply as well as rule the world. Thirdly, God provides everything we need to fulfill that calling. That's an extremely important part of covenant. Like, how could we do it if he didn't provide? So provision. Fourthly, people trust God and obey him. That's, that's how it should work, right? We believe his promises. We believe what he's said. We accept the calling. And we take steps of obedience. Fifth, God periodically confirms his covenant. Okay, I say fifth, but this could be fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, hundredth. God, we'll see continually coming back to people and saying, yeah, this is what I've called you to do. This is what I've promised, and I really mean it. It's going to happen. Okay, so God periodically confirms that covenant. And then sixthly and last on the list that I made, Humans periodically worship God and do something to remember God's promises and faithfulness. And it, it seems to take various forms. And I'm not an expert on, you know, covenant uh, practices and so forth, but we've all taken part in them uh, through, in our covenant with the Lord. Things like today we, we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper. We have baptism and uh, other things and we see different things in the bible and and worship and there are many forms of worship we're going to do one after at the end of this sermon we're going to have a response and it's taking the offering which is a form of responding to god's promises and his covenant to us so let's skip on and and as we're going to look at some of these covenants it's going to get repetitive. I'm going to be repetitive because I want you to see a pattern of how God behaves and expects people to behave in covenant. And in seeing this pattern, I want you to understand, come to a realization that the same is true for you and me in our covenant with God. So it continues with Noah, Genesis chapter 6. And... Uh, God says to Noah, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it. We won't get into reasons for that, but uh, <laughs> it, it, they were not fulfilling the covenant. This is the bottom line, I guess. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you will enter the ark. So we see there... Uh, a promise and a responsibility. What's the responsibility? Take your family into the ark and these animals with you. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, 
two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. All right, there's some provision there, right? Because Noah did not have to go out into all the earth and find every species of animals, right? I believe the Lord, he said there that he will uh, bring them to Noah. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. So we see God choosing Noah. We see him giving Noah a responsibility and we see provision there. And in verse 22, we see Noah's response. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. We see obedience that obviously he believed God's word and acted on it. Trust and obey. There's a song about that. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Genesis, skip to Genesis 8. And a flood has come and gone. And God speaks to Noah again. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground. So they can do what? Multiply. Multiply on the earth. And do what? Be fruitful and increase in number on it. Sound familiar? So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. That's a step of obedience right there, especially since there's just been a worldwide flood. And uh, the ark it was what saved them. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. All right, so, so we see God's God did provide, didn't he? He saved them through the flood. And Noah ob obeys. And then Noah, what does he do? He built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again. Well, let's stop there for a second. So Noah's response is to worship and to do something to worship. And so he builds an altar and he's thanking God and he's worshiping God, but he's also doing something that he is remembering God's faithfulness. And that's an that's a important thing in our response to God in the covenant is that's why we periodically do these things, to remember. Why? Because we live in a world where God's truth and God's provision is always challenged by God's enemies because the enemy does not want us to believe God and, and continue in covenant with him and be fruitful. And so it's always a challenge. Sin is always challenging us to forget, but God is wanting us to remember what he's done, and that's what Noah's doing there. So Noah built an altar to the Lord, taking, and he does that, and uh, verse 21, it says, The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of, all, because of humans. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. See, the risk that God is taking 
entering into covenant with us. I mean, it's crazy. It seems crazy, but crazy like a fox. He knows what he's doing, okay, because he's God. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. That's a promise. As long as the earth endures seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease, even with global warming or climate change. That's, that's a promise. Skipping to Genesis 9. I don't know why he's doing it, but he already communicated this covenant to Noah, and he's doing it again. Then God blessed Noah and his sons. He's calling them again. He's providing for them, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Have you heard that before? The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all of the birds of the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea, they are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because now we get to eat meat. But what we see there is provision, right? The animals, of course, are afraid of us now because we eat them. But, uh, but that's the way it is. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. That's provision. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. In other words, here he's giving more responsibility. He's saying, you respect this life. Life is important. Do not take it in your own hands. Do not take other human life. Um, do not murder. So he continues, whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, here it comes again, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those who came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. It's interesting. Uh, we're allowed to eat animals, but everything is valuable to God. So like all the living creatures are important. And so he's not just saying they're worthless trash. You can destroy them however you want to, right? We are to rule them uh, responsibly. I wish they wouldn't like sting me and build their nest in the corner of my house. <laughs> but uh, God respects all of the creatures he has made. And uh, it says, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant. So I hope you're not getting bored, but I don't get bored when God speaks and reminds me of his promises and his covenant. 
Our God is a God who speaks. And that's what I want you to see here is that I, I don't think Noah was saying, oh no, a sign? Do I really need a sign? No. Um, Noah is glad that God is speaking to him in his area of need. This is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Very interesting that the rainbow is, is God's sign of his covenant between uh, you and the earth. It's interesting, that photo was taken at a time in our home group. I forget, Kathy, but... We were talking about God's covenant and all of a sudden somebody's like, look outside, there's a rainbow. I'm like the, one of the most, more vivid rainbows. Uh, actually, it's not that photo, it was a different photo, but it was, it was a rainbow. Anyway, <laughs> uh, there's, we see a lot of rainbows here over the, ch- over the church. And I take them as a sign that God's in covenant with us and all that means. And it's a shame that the rainbow has been uh, adopted as a symbol for saying that that unrighteousness is okay, uh, because what it really is is a symbol of God's covenant with all creation. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth, and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds. I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, even though he said it before, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Do you get it? So when you go outside, when you see the rainbow, do you remember God's covenant? There are other things personal things that God speaks to you to remind you of his covenant with you. I know one for me is the Big Dipper. Uh, If I walk up the driveway or up on the parking lot, I see at night, especially this time of year, the Big Dipper right out there above the soccer field. And the first year we came back from China, I was walking up the driveway and the Lord, I was praying and the Lord spoke to me, yeah, see, I pour my love on you. And that's something the Lord has spoken to me, but He is a God who knows we need concrete signs, reminders to help us remember so that we continue to trust in him and his promises because that's the heart of the covenant. And so he will be speaking if our eyes are open and our ears are listening. But he certainly speaks through a lot of concrete things that are in the Bible, his word. But he will also speak personally to you through the Holy Spirit in different ways to remind you of his covenant, and that includes the rainbow. Later on in Genesis, it moves on to Abram, also renamed Abraham. And I want to look at him closely. And the first contact is Genesis 12. Do you understand that Through Adam and through Noah, we all are descendants of Adam. We're all descendants of Noah, right? This covenant, those covenants apply to us as human beings. Uh, Here, God is making covenant with Abraham. Does does that covenant, those covenants apply to us? Yes. But I'm not Jewish, are you? Yes. (laughs) 
Read the New Testament, it's very clear that, that the children of Abraham are the ones by faith, right? And so even if you're not uh, Jewish people, and I, I hope all the, descend, the blood descendants of Abraham are saved and there are promises for them, uh, that every promise for Abraham is a promise for you if you have faith in Jesus Christ. And so, um, so you can go looking online for property in Palestine, I guess. But um, Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. There's a calling. That's a, that's a calling and giving responsibility. That's a scary one right there, I think. I will make you into a... Here's the promise. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. There's the provision. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Wouldn't you love to have that promise? Oh, wait, you do have that promise because you're a child of Abraham. So Abram went. That's trust. That's really trust, isn't it? And obedience. Obedience is how that trust manifests. Abram went. Okay, go somewhere. I'll show you later. Leave your family, leave everything and go. And he did. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. I mean, he's heard that before, but see what the Lord is doing. He's reminding him of the promise. So he built an altar there to the Lord. See, Abram is responding with worship and remembrance. God is confirming his covenant. Abram's responding. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So again, he's worshiping. He's building an altar to remember God's promise. You know, if there were no need to trust or to wait for the desired outcome, for the promise to be fulfilled, then there, or to persevere through trials and difficulties, possible pitfalls and failures, there would be no need for covenant, right? At least on our part, or on our end of it. But there always are these possibilities. There is always a test of trust. And so God repeatedly comes to Abraham to remind him of the promise. And so in chapter 15, it's all about that. I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing, but I'll read the beginning. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. I'm not exactly sure. I'm not, I don't remember exactly how much time has passed, but he was 75 when he first received the call. 
and he's been to Egypt and different things have happened since then. And uh, Abram said, Sovereign Lord, so God comes and he appears to him in a vision. I'm your shield, your protection, your very great reward. I'm your provision. Abram has a question, but he commu- what is, he's communicating with the Lord. He's in a covenant with the Lord. He has a right to sincerely ask a question. He's not accusing the Lord, but he's asking. He's saying, uh, he's got doubts, he's got questions, and we'll see that God answers. Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. This is not a lack of faith, but this is honest communication, I think. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So God, notice God is willing to answer and communicate back. And notice God expounds on the information of the promise a little bit more there, which is what God does step by step. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. So he's confirming. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Oh, faith is so important. And this, of course, is quoted in Romans, I believe. Uh, that believing God, God credits that to us as obedience, as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. Another reminder. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So another question about the land part of the promise. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So we won't keep reading, but uh, we're going to do a little object lesson, a little covenant (laughs) to, to remind you. And Abraham cuts them all in half, lines them up, chases the vultures away, and eventually God puts them into a trance and comes at, at sundown and a smoking fire pot moves between, and this is a covenant action. And God, again, is confirming, reaffirming. He's already made a covenant with Abraham. He doesn't have to do this, but he does. He's reaffirming that covenant, and he says these words. Interesting. He's like, it's not actually going to get easier. Know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. So he gives them further revelation. He gives them a prophecy. You know, God still gives prophecy today. How many of you have received specific prophecy from the Lord besides just scriptures? And God God is a God who speaks because that's part of covenant. He's reminding us, and he's... He's expounding, this is what I'm going to do. Follow me step by step. Why does God tell him that? 
so that when it happens, they won't get dismayed and give up on believing God. You know, it's, it's not, it's not going to be a straight line. It's not going to be immediate. You're going to go through some trouble. Your people are going to go through some trouble. Remember this. And so then again, he makes a promise uh, that he's going to give the land and he spells out the names of the people living there now and the borders of it and says, this, I, am, I am going to give it to you. This is my covenant. The smoking fire pot confirms it. Okay, believe it. God keeps speaking to Abraham. Genesis 17. It says, when Abraham was 99 years old, that's 24 years after the original call, still no child. Well, a child, Ishmael, which was Abram's idea, or his wife's idea, both of their idea, but it wasn't God's idea, per se. Um, so still not the, the provision that God was promising. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Responsibility. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And so we see that God is the one who is fulfilling, helping to fulfill what Abram's called to do. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So again, he's confirming the covenant. He's expounding on it. This word everlasting is talking about kings coming. He's saying, this is actually going to be many nations that I'm giving to you. Did he confirm it? Did he fulfill it? Yeah, because all the nations of the world God is bringing into Abraham's nation and uh, through Jesus Christ. And so what is, how does Abraham respond? He builds an altar and calls on the name of the Lord. Then he goes to another place and he builds another altar and calls on the name of the Lord. And so part of our response to God's covenant, this is a challenging time for Abraham still, is to worship and to remember that's why worship, one of the reasons why worship is so important. Because when we worship God, and when we do things to remember that covenant, it is building up our faith, and is we're declaring to him and to everyone around that we trust in the Lord no matter what it looks like. Because his word is true. He is faithful. Amen? So if there were no need to trust, uh, then... Uh, we wouldn't have to do that. There comes 
There's one more thing with Abraham that I want to touch on. Obviously, God fulfilled his promise and Isaac was born miraculously. And then God comes some years later and and this is in Genesis 22 and comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to test whether you believe me or not. He doesn't say he's testing, but that's what he's doing. He says, go take your son and sacrifice him to me on the mountain, Mount Moriah. Verse, verse 9 says, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there um, why, and, and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So he's obedient even to that point. That's amazing, isn't it? But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And of course, the angel of the Lord, we're probably talking about Jesus there, not just Gabriel or some other created angel, but it's referring, it's probably referring to the Lord himself. Here I am, he replied. Yeah, I'm ready. You want to say something? Please say it. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abram looked up there, and in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abram called that place, the Lord will provide And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Have you ever said that? But it's true for us. Oh, is it true for us? Because this is a, this not only is a test of Abraham's faith. Why? Was God insecure? Like, I really just need to know that you trust me, you know, like an insecure spouse. No. Uh, God is doing this to confirm, uh, to validate to say, well, this faith is ethereal, but let's, let's see if it's concrete. Let's make it concrete. That's what testing our faith does. It proves. It, it makes something that's theory into concrete. And so we shouldn't despise when God tests our faith um, because he's building something of value. He's crea- creating something of value in us, for us. Um, so this whole thing is, is just, and you see it, it's an image of Jesus sending, of God the Father sending Jesus, the Lamb of God, to be the sacrifice that takes our place. He sent his only son so that we don't have to do that, so that Abraham didn't have to do that. And I, I don't know if it's true, but what I've, heard experts say is that mountain, Mount Moriah, that, that uh, the sacrifice was made on is, is probably maybe the exact place that Jesus died on the cross. And I don't know if that's, uh, that's true, but that's what I've heard some people s- say before. It wouldn't surprise me because, uh, uh, because God was doing something prophetically there 
that confirmed what he was going to do to fulfill the biggest action that ever fulfilled this whole covenant thing happened when Jesus died on Calvary. And that was the ultimate provision and ultimate victory and ultimate um, God coming through on our behalf. So, we could go on with through Genesis. We see at different times that God goes on beyond Abraham and to his son Isaac and then to his son Jacob reconfirming the covenant that he started through their fathers. And I guess that's a picture of Isaac and Rebecca. And just, I just want to read the short, the one for Isaac is short. The Lord appeared. There was a, a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offsprings, offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him. That's just very interesting that so he's giving this, he's conferring the same covenant onto Isaac. He's confirming that with Isaac because your father trusted me and obeyed me. I think it's very interesting that, uh, and we should remember that as parents that, like, uh, what we do has an effect on future generations, upon our children and grandchildren and those who come behind us, both in family and also spiritually. Uh, very much so spiritually in the body of Christ. What we do will have an impact uh, through God on, on those who come after us. Um, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. What's that? Obedience. <laughs> so you see, God didn't tell Isaac to go sacrifice his son but he told him to do something. He told him, in this hard time, don't go down to Egypt. Stay with the Philistines and I will take care of you. This is what I want you to do. And I want us to see that we are in covenant. We are in the same covenant. And God will speak to each one of us specific instructions through the Holy Spirit in different ways of how we need to be obedient to him. And our job is to trust him and respond in obedience. And you might say, well, are you talking about works? Well, yes, I am. But the way works work in the kingdom of God is by grace. It's God works, God's works. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, we do the works that he created in advance for us to do or to walk in. And so the provision is all from God. What is our part? Yielding, surrendering, and saying, I will do it your way. I want to do it your way. That's, that's really where, where our involvement. I trust in you. I surrender to you. 
and uh, God will do it. In your notes, it talks about Jacob. Genesis 28. Go ahead and study that. Genesis 35. Study that on your own. Uh, God gives some amazing, some interesting promises to Jacob. The first one through, Jacob's like, I don't think he knew God as well as, certainly as well as Abraham did. He's like, oh, God was here after he had a dream. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. If you come through and do everything you said to me, then I'll call you my God and give you 10% of everything I have. <laughs> Which is, okay, that's, that's a beginning, okay, yeah, of responding. But you know what? He's responding and he's worshiping and giving 10%, which we're going to have an opportunity to give an offering, a month, financial offering to God in a few minutes. That's, that's a way of responding in trust. We're responding to the covenant. And it is a form of worship. And it's significant. Later on, God comes back after Jacob's been through a few more things in life, seen God's faithfulness more. And, uh, and Jacob does that. And both times, Jacob does something. He sets up a stone, which I think is a remembrance stone. And he pours a drink offering on it, which is a form of, I think, a, an offering. It probably has other significance as well. Pours oil on it, pours an offering on it. And he's responding. I hope as we've talked this morning that you see the pattern. And the reason we're talking about it is because it very much applies to your life and my life and our life corporately, right? That God is continually speaking. He's a repetitive God because this covenant is really important to him. But our response is very important also. And the heart of it is trust. You know, we're just touching, we're just looking at Genesis. That's just the beginnings of the Bible's examples of God dealing with people. But the covenant is the same and it carries through the whole Bible. Especially into the New Testament and especially to us. We are not left out of it. And... Uh, it's a trust relationship. It's two-sided. You are part of the same covenant through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why faith in Jesus Christ is so important because there's no covenant without faith. So I have a few questions before we pray. That is, do you receive the calling and assignment to play your part in bearing fruit and multiplying his kingdom rule in the earth? You don't have to answer out loud, but think about it. And do you believe in his unfailing love and total provision for you to accomplish that every step of the way? Total provision provides everything for you to walk in it. Can you, by faith in him, take steps of obedience, baby steps, one step at a time, one foot in front of the other, into that calling. As you walk with him daily, expect that he will communicate with you. He will remind you of his purposes, his faithful love, and his provision. In response, we worship him and we remember his promises. We don't let ourselves forget. That's important because the world will, the enemy will try to get us to forget. Have you been called into covenant with God? 
If you're a human being, you've been chosen by, with Adam and again with Noah. And if you're in Christ, you've been called with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've been called through Moses, and you've been called by Jesus himself. Does it seem that God's promises are slow in coming? I mean, we all are part of a big promise, but your own personal life has certain promises. Does it seem that they're slow in coming, that God is slow? That is not unusual, as we've seen through especially Abraham. Don't give up. Is your faith in him being tested? That also is not unusual. It's an important part of the process. So keep obeying in steps of faith. God will be faithful. He will provide. Remember and keep trusting in him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I know there's a lot of it. But we, we're grateful that you keep reminding and reminding it, that you say the same things over and over because trust is important to you and you're a God who communicates. We thank you that you're a God who communicates, that you're a God who speaks. You're also a God who listens to us. Lord, I pray that you would release our hearts, that we would um, pour out our hearts to you, that we would communicate to you. And I, this, this morning as we worship, Lord, I just pray that you would draw out of us the things that that you know that we ought to open up and communicate with you and that you would meet us where we are and answer our questions and confirm your covenant with us, um, not just through this word, but through specific and personal ways that you've been speaking to each one of us here, that you will confirm your covenant Thank you, Lord, that you send people to speak your word and confirm along the way. Lord, may you use us in other people's lives that you might speak through us, that we might encourage one another, but also that we would hear your voice, Holy Spirit, that we would be tuned into your voice, attentive to your voice, and so that we would know, we would know what you're saying. Give, Lord, give us grace that we will yield, that we will surrender to you to, to obey the steps you're asking us to take. Lord, we love you. We praise you because in you is the victory. And you knew what you were doing when you called us to, um, to lay down our lives and take up our cross and follow you. And when you called us to um, be your ambassadors, and to be fruitful and multiply. You knew what you were, and when you put us in charge of ruling the earth in your stead, by your authority, you knew what you were doing. Lord, let us walk in everything that you have planned for us. Let us walk in everything that you have provided for us. Let us trust in you. Forgive us, Lord, when we've been selfish and we thought that this life was just about ourselves either our own survival or our own uh, pleasure or whatever. 
Inspire us, Lord, with your purpose. Give us renewed, renew in us the call to serve you that we might do it with gladness. Fill us with confidence and joy and peace and all, all of the things of your character as we trust in you because you are our loving God, our faithful Father, the one who will not abandon us, the one who has been so good to us. You've been so good to us, Lord. We praise you, we bless you, we thank you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And we have an opportunity uh, not just to sing and worship God, and we want to do that for sure, but as we start to do that, we're also going to take an offering. And this is another one of those concrete ways that we just say, Lord, I trust in you. And so this is not just to pay the bills. This is not just the ritual that we have to do out of duty. But this is our response to God. Like, Lord, I trust you. Thank you for your provision. Hallelujah.